Canucks Central Wednesday. It's here. Bo Horvat revenge game at Rogers Arena tonight. Dan Richo and Satyar Shah. This is Canucks Central in the Kintec studio. Kintec footwear and orthotics. Canada's favorite orthotics provider supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintec.net. Uh, I know our listeners, 650-650 on the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. They're going to have Bull Horvat takes for days. You can send them through. Uh, we will read as we get closer and closer to puck drop tonight from Rogers Arena. But um, while we will have plenty of Bo Horvat discussion, and we do have overrated underrated today, we'll also have Kevin Woodley and Irfan Gafar giving their takes on Bo Horvat. Yes. Uh, we did want to start on where this team continues to get to. Yeah. Right? Talked a lot about Bo Horvat yesterday as well on the podcast. But Carson Susie, we find out today, is out for six to eight weeks with an LBI, lower body, lower body injury. And now there is, I, I don't know if it's a gaping hole on the Canucks defense, but, you know, it looks thinner when Noah Juleson and Mark Friedman are both playing significant minutes for the Canucks on defense, all due respect. And the wonder is, is this going to spur the Canucks into action to go out and acquire a defenseman that they've been uh, already manning the phones for? Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's going to expedite the process. Like, I don't think the Canucks are all of a sudden going to be like, you know what, let's pay whatever is necessary to make this deal. Let's change our uh, outlook, our deme- our posture in these yes. trade talks to get something done. Well, it's not like they're it's it's not like they're in a position like last year where they're like life and death to make the playoffs and they're like, well, we we can't even manage this scenario for the next couple of weeks and see how it plays out. Like they don't have that worry about them. They don't have that pressure on them right now. No, now we did talk about during training camp and into the preseason how the battle for that number 7 8 D man spot had been very underwhelming. They had hope that some of these guys would push and somebody would really emerge especially on the right side with, with guys like Noah Juleson even, even Jet Wu, they thought, okay, can you finally show something? Yeah, and yeah. nobody really did, right? And they had to go out and acquire Mark Friedman in terms of adding that little extra depth. But still, you have Akita Hirose, who they called up. You still have Christian Willanen, who showed he can play a little bit for you, right? A little bit banged up right now. Yeah, and you know the coach mentioned it was 50-50 between him and, and Hirose, and he came up, uh, Hirose did. I think you want to. You can give it some time. Guillaume Brisebois, whenever he comes off IR, and he will come off IR. Hopefully, he'll he'll start feeling feeling better and, and get on ice and and get soon get yeah. close to a return. But you have a few options. At least you can explore somewhat. And I'm not saying you you have to like stick stick with these guys until the trade deadline, but you can probably give yourself a couple of weeks here and explore what you have internally and what it looks like instead of getting you know, yeah. desperate and giving up something in trades. Now, I don't think we would we should be surprised if they do make a trade because I think they've been involved in trade talk pretty aggressively this entire time since they took over. And I don't think their search, like I've been mentioning now for a few weeks, is just around the defense. I think they're open to multiple things to improve this team long term, up front and on the back end. And I think when you're that type of organization, you should never be surprised when, if and when a trade happens. But I don't think Carson Soucy today being out six to eight weeks changes anything outside of creating a little bit of caps room for you to get Ethan Baird done in a couple of weeks if you want to. Yeah, and it's um, 
You know, when you think about it, uh, this is sort of what they wanted to, well, not wanted, but what they've preached for so long. We Mm. want to create a structure and a system where, you know, if injuries happen, we can plug and play guys into certain spots in the lineup and, you know, we can still get going, right? We could still play to our identity as a team. And that's sort of what they created in Pittsburgh, right? Remember that first Stanley Cup team uh, that they went through and Justin Schultz was like manning all kinds of minutes for them. Mm. And, uh, you know, Ian Cole was part of that team, but they had to manage through a Chris Letang injury in the playoffs. It was, it was tough. And they still ended up going and winning the cup. Now, Obviously, this isn't the 2016 Pittsburgh Penguins. No. But they got by with, um, I'd say, less than name brand talent on defense and winning a Stanley Cup on that. So can you get by six to eight weeks doing that? You know, that's sort of testing the identity and the the structure that Rick Tockett has built. And he he sort of mentioned that today as well. Yeah. Um, which which I kind of like. And I, I, I do see that as a test. But ultimately... Finding another defenseman is part of the plan for this team. And I know people keep bringing up the Flames, Sat, and I get it. You know, the Chris Tanev reunion is something everybody would love. Nikita Zadorov, he's big, he's strong, he's physical. Every team is going to maybe want to have a little bit of Nikita Zadorov on their roster. But given that the Flames don't seem too interested in trading in division from many reports and the Canucks maybe not wanting to get a rental, I just, I'm not I'm not sure I, I see the fit here all that much. So I think Vancouver is interested, obviously, like we've heard, in guys yeah. like Tanev. Um, I'd say Tanev more than Zadorov because of a righty defenseman, his familiarity yes. here and, and the role he would fit in on this team. Familiarity with uh, the captain of the team, Quinn yeah. Hughes. Yeah, and a number of players on this team too. So I think he would obviously be the priority here over Zadorov. Both are maybe more realistic in the off season because it might be easier for you to, to for you to get it done. Now, Dolly Wall today mentioned he brought up Niels Hoaglander's name. Yes. Could I see Vancouver being willing to do Hoaglander for Tanev? Yes. Mm-hmm. Now that can't get done cap wise because Tanev gets paid four million per year. Yeah. Um, and Canucks could fit him in while Susie is out, but what do we do when Susie comes back? And he's going to come back. Yes. At some point, and it's four point five. Right. And so the only way you can make that trade, even if they retain Calgary, which they're not going to retain, even for Hoaglander, is if you're adding somebody else too. Is it Bavillier as an expiring? Right. And, you know, it's Hoaglander and Bavillier, and they can maybe flip Bavillier at some point, you know, so that maybe that's an extra pick. They kind of view Bavillier as like buying a draft pick, sort of part of the trade. Yeah. At the deadline, can you get a third or a fourth or something for a Bavillier type of player if you retain? I could see that being appealing to Vancouver. The question is, how appealing is that to Calgary? Mm hmm. What is Calgary looking for? Now, Dolly Wall mentioned young forward. I mean, again, like, it makes sense. That they didn't go and get a, a first-round pick for Tyler Toffoli or whatever else. Like, they, they took 25-year-old Igor Sharangovich, yeah. who hasn't really fit all that well. But, you know, they chose to get a player that they could put on their roster right now rather than you know, a future asset of some kind. Yeah, sounds familiar, too, doesn't it? Yeah. Uh, in, in terms of some trades that have happened in Vancouver in the past. But I... I I do understand that. Now, I don't think Vancouver, however, is willing to add draft picks here. Like, yeah. They have extra forts, sure, but I don't think you're, they're trading a first or a second. Like My understanding is Vancouver is not, I don't think, willing to be tra- paying through the nose for any rentals. If they're trading significant assets, 
I think it's for somebody who is a significant player that's going to fit here longer term within the age range. Tanev's yeah. also 33, you know? So I just don't see them giving up anything outside of that. I mean, even some fans, they're texting in already and saying, you can't trade Hoaglander. I mean, that's that's too much already as it is. And I understand people saying, because you're talking about a young, controllable forward for a defenseman who's 33, righty defenseman. Yeah. You can sign him in the offseason maybe if he gets to free agency, right? Like that's something you can you can obviously explore. But I can see the team doing something along those lines. I just, I'm just not sure they're willing to do anything beyond that. Yeah. Uh, like Hoaglander's played well. And I've appreciate his appreciated his work ethic to um get to know the system work well in the system work hard as a fourth liner and trust you know if i work hard and i do my job i'm going to potentially earn bigger opportunities yeah. earn the trust of the coach all those things he's put his head down and he's done about as well as you could hope given the you know, gluttony of forwards, gluttony of wingers that he has to try and overcome to get a significant spot in this lineup. At the same time, I'm still, I can't say that I'm totally sold on Nils Hoaglander. Like I, I like a lot of the the pieces, the, the talent, the things in the toolbox. I just don't know if it's ever going to be anything that is an impact piece, let's say to a team. I can see him being a really good third liner. And that's nothing to scoff at. Yeah. Like, I can see him, like, the more I watch him this year and the more I watch the way Connor Garland is effective, can he do what Garland can do long-term on a third line? And you don't want to pay $5 million for that. But I can see Hoaglander being a real, you know, uh, igniter on a line mm-hmm. like that with his forechecking ability, his, his, his skill level, and, and just how he can, you know, get things involved. But unless he starts scoring at a higher rate, which, again, is now he's not playing a ton, but, again, it comes down to that issue... And unless he gets a little cleaner with his game, all coaches are going to have the same problem. Like, it's not just talk it. It was the same thing with uh, Boudreaux. You saw the way Boudreaux treated Niels Hoaglander and the things he mentioned about him and his game and how it'd have to evolve, right? Before that, Travis Green really liked Hoaglander in his rookie season, his second season. You started to see some of that rope be taken from him instead of him being given more. But ultimately, Travis wasn't there long enough to really... Yeah, um, for us to really see what happened outside of he had a really successful rookie season with him, mm-hmm. but also for a team that, as we mentioned, he probably shouldn't have been in the NHL. But the team literally had nobody who was a better option. Yeah, like he was far and away the best option they had to be on their team than anybody else. So he made the team, right? And he played well. He did for what you would expect in that type of year. I don't know if this organization truly believes in Niels Hoglander, and mm-hmm. that's always an issue. So when I see that, I always think of a guy that you have to trade at some point. It's better for you to trade that player and get something meaningful for him than let it die on the vine in Vancouver. Right. Because at some point, you'll get to a point where the player just won't have value anymore. Yeah. You know, where it's like, okay, yeah, maybe if he becomes, if you renounce his rights for something and, you know, he's an RFA and it's for nothing, sure. But if you don't believe in this player, get whatever asset you can get for him. Um, That may end up being the case with Nils Hoaglander. Uh, A couple of texts coming in that I wanted to... Uh, get to uh, Colin from the Caribou listening live. Be patient. Sign Tanev in the offseason as a UFA. Do not give up an asset for an expiring contract. That is Colin from the Caribou. Look, I, I'm not opposed to taking on an expiring contract. 
just the price has to be right for it, right? Which means it should be an insignificant yeah. price uh, to take on a rental-type contract. Like, I, I have no problems with the fifth-round pick they gave up for Sam Lafferty. That's an expiring contract. Yeah, I mean, stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, I'm not against making trades, yeah. you know, but my entire thing, and I, I'm inclined to agree with Colin, I'd rather, on players like Tanev and even Zadorov, wait, wait for free agency. Yeah. Especially uh, if Calgary wants you to pay a premium or something like this, like no, I'm not doing get the, out of town. Like no. yeah, I'm not, I'm not even I'm not even entertaining. Again, that. like I don't even love the Hoaglander thing because yeah. it's still a decent asset, and you're doing it for a rental. Again, right. I don't love that idea, even if you resell. But I can, I can, I can swallow it. I can you know I can plug my nose and swallow it. Right? If you're talking about Hoaglander plus, like no, yeah, <laughs> like get out of here. You know what I'm like? Not, not even thinking about it. Yeah, not go trade into Toronto if you like. You know. But, and it comes down to his value, right? And, you know, Raymond mentions if you're going to trade Hoags, you should trade for somebody, do it for someone like Pellick or something. The thing is, what can Hoaglander bring you back realistically? What is he worth? Is he worth a third? Is he worth a second? And that means, okay, can you do him and something else and go get a better player? I'm not against that. Like, I'm not against you trading a first round pick even. Yeah. Like, I'm not against you making your team better. Yeah. But are you getting somebody who's going to be under control that's maybe 24, 25? You're asking for a lot here. And now, you know, I'm, I'm giving you a, a needle to thread by saying I'm willing to trade a first, but I want a 24, 25 year old defenseman who's good. Yeah. It's like, good luck. Realistically, a cost controlled right shot defenseman uh, in, a, in his mid 20s is going to cost a lot more than Nils Hoglander. Yeah. Now, I'm not against doing that. At least that. a good one. Yeah, I'm not against doing that, yeah. doing more than that. But I'm not doing it for Tanev. I'm not doing it for Zadorov. I'm not doing it for a rental. Yeah. Um, that's sort of the issue you start to run into with the idea of Tanev coming back, even Zadorov. If the Canucks are going to tr- make a significant trade, I would imagine they want it to be for you know somebody that they can moving forward see as a guy that plays regular second pair minutes behind Hughes and Hronick. And that's something right now, it's hard to see where that would come from. And it's certainly not with elder players like Zadorov and Tanev. Uh, this text, enough of signing Ethan Bear. We just got rid of that terrible group of defensemen. Picking up Bear would be degressing this roster. No, I mean, so who's better, Ethan Bear or Noah Juleson? Yeah, it's it's almost a rhetorical question. Uh, who who's better, right? Ethan Bear or Mark Friedman? Yeah, again, it's an obvious answer. Yeah, but I mean that's what we're talking about here. Yes, we're talking about upgrading the number six defenseman on this team, and you raising can do your worse, floor as a team. You can do worse than Ethan Bear as that being your player. And on a good day, can Ethan Bear be more effective than Tyler Myers sometimes, or at least you know? And now Myers has been a lot better. It's unfortunate Susie's out because him and yes. Susie were really finding some good they chemistry. They had some chemistry. They did. Hey? They're playing. You had the towers, man. You the had two this, towers. Like, the twin towers playing D, oh, like man. defending the blue, hard to play against, boxing out. Yeah. It's like what you always envisioned for Tyler Myers, just coming a little, a little too late. Yeah. So it's, it's just it's just a little unfortunate. <laughs> but that's what you're talking about here, right? Now, yeah. can you get Ethan Bear to a, a nice number, like a one-year deal worth $1 million something maybe, and it's prorated because he's been out? That's not too hard for you to fit in. And now with Susie out two to six weeks, I mean, six to eight weeks, you have some leeway to do that. And who knows who else gets injured at some point. It's a long season. You might be an LTIR all year. Now, you are an LTIR all year because of Pullman, but even beyond that, you mm-hmm. know? And uh, and I just think it's one of those things where you shouldn't be surprised if they do sign an Ethan Bear, but then they're not done there. Like Ethan Bear is like, okay, he replaces Mark Friedman, but we're talking about how do you upgrade the team even beyond that? Yeah. 
Um, you know, we've talked about Brett Pesha in the past, mainly just because he is uh, probably the highest profile right shot defenseman that's going to hit the free agent market in the summer. But Carolina has a history of willing to ride those contracts out. They did it with Dougie Hamilton and ended up just letting Dougie Hamilton walk and sign with the New Jersey Devils mm-hmm. in free agency. So like if Carolina's in a playoff spot and looking to contend, there's nothing to suggest that they would even entertain a Brett Pesce trade, assuming they think he's going to help them win playoff games. They have to move a D, but the rumors we've heard is they're looking to maybe offload D'Angelo. Yes. You know, there are other guys are trying to offload and, and maybe even try to hold on to Pesce regardless. And I see people texting in about him, and, and you know, I'm a fan of his too. Like, that's the type of player. But it's also going to be a contract you're going to have to pay him significantly for. Like, you're not getting one or two years of control. Like, it's yeah, if you're, you're trading... Like, then you'd go into this summer, you have to pay Pedersen, Hronik, and Brett Pesce. Yeah. That's it's a not, lot. It's a lot. And until you get Patterson done too, and that's obviously, you know, something. I mean, maybe it's the perfect segue into uh, the conversation around Elias Patterson. But I think that's that. That's it on the trade stuff. Like I think Hoaglander is, is is a name to watch. Yeah. The question is, is that enough for Calgary? Does that move the needle enough for them? You know, and if it does, maybe we have a deal at some point. But it's just one of those things. Uh, there's clearly something with Calgary not wanting to be uh, well, not being too enthused to trade in the division and maybe even more specifically with Vancouver for whatever reason. But uh, it seems as though they would hope that the Canucks at least pay a premium to take off one of their pending unrestricted free agents. Yeah, and again, I just don't expect Vancouver to be paying premiums for rentals. No. So so uh, we can keep talking about it because I know it's probably not going to go away anytime soon, uh, but it's uh, still unlikely uh, to happen. Uh, so Elias Pettersson. We talked a little bit about the uh, the contract yesterday and where those discussions are going. There is uh, a little bit more intel that you're getting on uh, where things stand with Elias Patterson. So, I mean, I'm, I think I'm, I'm hearing a lot of the same stuff that, you know, uh, Rick has mentioned and I know Elliot also mentioned that, yes, there seems to be have been some so there is, I'd say, I don't want to characterize it as progress. Right. I characterize characterize it as some good vibes around the situation. Yes. Did right? they uh, did they touch base? <laughs> I think I think there was some. Will touch- they circle back at some point? Yeah. <laughs> I just think there's there's there are positive vibes. Yes. Right. And I do think if the team had its way, they'd love to get him signed for as long as possible to as team friendly a number as possible. But that that's the term team friendly. Mm-hmm. And how easy is that to get done? And also, what is Elias Pettersson's preference? And it just seems like, like I know the guys mentioned this today too, that a shorter term is something to look at, right? It's not going to be long-term. Now, I don't, th- I don't take short-term, Dan, to be two to three years. Yeah. Like, I kind of think the thing I was talking to somebody about today, who, that what they mentioned to me was, look at Austin Matthews' extension. It's a four-year extension. Yep. Now, it's not going to be 13.25. No. That, that Matthews got, but are we talking about 11-something over four? Like honestly, know, it feels like anything under eleven and a half feels like a win for the Vancouver Canucks. Maybe it's more like I, I don't know what it's going to come yeah. in at exactly, but I I look at right now as a four year deal being more realistic than an eight year deal. But I would also say, at a caution, and say what I also heard today was nothing is close, mm-hmm. and that as much as today maybe it seems more realistic that it's a four year deal. This is something that they're going to have. I think that the real discussions are going to start, if not they haven't started already, and really exploring what multiple parameters look like 
like what what would a four year deal look like and what would actually a, a six year seven eight year deal look yeah. like so i do think it's very early in the process yeah and that's the one thing my main takeaway was term yes is positive and maybe four and all this but it's so early in that process of them kind of coming together again in terms of really hammering out what the number and terms going to look like that it could take some time and that we shouldn't be too locked in on exactly where it's going to go yet it's uh like but it's positive. Like I think he like he's getting done. Like I don't yeah. think there's there's a question of, you know, are they gonna sign Pedersen at some point here? I think the question just comes down to now is how long and how big is that contract? They're eleven three and one. They have a chance to be first place in the Western Conference here in, yeah. the, in mid-November. Uh, right, and he is the number one scorer, or has been, you know, number one scorer right there with a lot of players for the last couple of weeks. Uh, well, since the start of the season, the vibes have to be good. They've never been better. Yeah. For Elias Pettersson and the Vancouver Canucks. And that's helping this negotiation. You know, when the, the ongoing debate is going to be about short term versus long term, and it's Elias Pettersson. Like, he's one of the top players in the league. Mm -hmm. He essentially gets to call his shot in this situation, especially as, you know, I know he's got one more year of control left as an RFA, but. He's essentially you're you're essentially signing an unrestricted free agent, or you're taking away unrestricted free agency from Elias Pettersson. So he has the hammer, and the Canucks basically just have to uh, try and manage the situation as best they can. If they can squeeze out a fifth year, that would be a bonus for the Vancouver Canucks. But I just see top top players in the league leaning more and more towards this type of a contract so that they can maximize earning potential. Uh, we'll get into this more with Earth. We have Willie yeah. joining us and overrated, underrated and everything. But the one thing I would say is in four years' time, the cap is going to be probably north of 105, 110 million. Like next yeah. year, it goes up a bit. The year afterwards is supposed to be a bigger jump. The third year is supposed to be a jump. But once you get through those four years, so in five years from now, we're gonna have a we're gonna live in a completely different cap world than we envisioned with the flat cap being what it is through this past era. It's going to look really different for, for players. That's one thing I, sp I spoke to an agent about. And we're just I was I was asking about so how much does this outlook come out? And it's like usually it's a bit overrated. It's like hey, get as much money as you can right now because um, it's just get the total money. Something you never know what the world yeah, looks yeah. like and everything. But with the influx of money coming in, the expansion, they're also looking at maybe expanding even more. Yeah, and yeah. the revenues are going to go up even higher. Like they're really high this year. There is a sense that in four or five years time there's a different world we're living in with, with money in the NHL, the cap, the numbers for players. It's not going to be this talk about, oh, why are, we do NHL players not get paid a ton? It's going to be, you know, it's going to raise that tide significantly. So if, if you are a player who really does believe in this, in their talent, and you wait four to five years, you could be looking at signing a, a contract where it's 16, 17 million per year. Yeah. And, you know, we've already seen players sign 16, 17% of the cap. Yeah. Right. It just, when the cap is over a hundred million dollars, where the ceiling of the cap is over a hundred million dollars, sixteen or seventeen percent looks a lot more closer to, you know, twenty million. Yeah, uh, and that's kind of where things are projecting. And Elias Patterson and other big time free agents coming up in the next year or so are probably trying to understand that and maybe maximize that as the cap is set for a big jump in the next couple of years. It's Dan Richo, Satyar Shaw. Coming up, Kevin Woodley will join us. His take on Bo Horvat and uh, just what the Canucks have cooking in goal right now. It's pretty, pretty, pretty good. That's coming up next on Canuck Central. Hitting the most important topics for Vancouver sports fans. The People's Show with Vic Nazar. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Back in on Canuck Central, we're inside the Kintec studio, and it's Wednesday, so you know what that means. It's time for our uh, goalie guru, In Goal Magazine, covers the Canucks at NHL.com. It is Kevin Woodley, and he uh, is joining us in studio. Kevin Woodley is a presentation of White Rock Hyundai, and he joins us in studio, into the Kintec studio. It's Hyundai. Oh, okay. I've... I had to do my first ever read. And All right. I was corrected that it is Hyundai. And I'm very excited, I got to say. Because you know what it is? Like, you know what it is, right? Goaltending. Mm-hmm. We all, I, you hear me talk about it, right? Precision, power, yes. yeah. all these things. It's also about style. <laughs> and even though I'm not styling hard today, I'm just wearing the hoodie in the, in the studio with you guys. They got me taken care of in style. So, yeah, it's it's nice. Very good. White Rock Hyundai. Hyundai, Hyundai. Sorry. We'll get you there, Reach. I'm, uh, I'm figuring it out. I'm supposed to be the pronunciation guy around here, and I keep screwing everything up. <laughs> uh, so kind of a big game uh, going down at Rogers Arena tonight, the uh, return of uh, an ex-captain to Vancouver. Yeah, and a lot of there's a lot of noise around that. And I'll be curious yeah. to see what the noise is from the fans. Like, I honestly don't know what the reaction will be, right? Mm. And uh, I've seen some of the stuff. You guys have obviously been probably – neck deep in this ever since the last Canucks game, yeah. right? Everything's looked forward to it. And you know, I don't know what you've heard from the fan base, but the one, you know, the one I have a little problem, well, there's a couple of things I have a little problem with. One would be the idea that this turnaround we're seeing right now is because they got rid of him. And I, I, I don't know that that's fair necessarily. Yeah. Um, you're presuming that the, the strides that other guys have made under Rick Tockett, couldn't have also been made by Bo Horvat. And I, I don't know that that's necessarily fair. And listen, I am I know a lot of people are like, ah, you guys in the media, you're a Bo Horvat apologist, right? Because he is a great guy to deal yeah. with, right? I'm going through this right now with Jack Campbell and the Edmonton Oilers and goaltending. Yeah. Um, but I'm here, to, like I, the year into the summer when it was Bo or JT, I think I answered one time when I was asked that question on the air here, like, I'm like, whoever changes... Hustles back to the bench on a change first. <laughs> yeah. Right? Because yeah. the, the things that were criti- that both were criticized, like yeah. they applied to both, mm-hmm. right? And so new coach, new mentality, there's a new culture here. Uh, and I just don't think you can say that's because Bo's gone. I think that's because Rick Tockett has established it. And to presume that wouldn't have been possible with Bo still here as captain, I, I just don't think that's fair. I think obviously getting the righty defenseman they've been looking for yeah. is, is, is something that balanced the team a lot better. Now, you, instead of having three centers with JT playing center, at least now you shift one over and get a righty defenseman. And at the very least, not that it was Bo's fault necessarily, because again, there's a lot of turmoil here, but it's a team that needed a massive culture shock and a change and a leadership change. And allowing Quinn Hughes to grow into that, at least for the time being, looks like it did create enough of a change here for a new vibe and a new core or a new leadership group to kind of emerge. Certainly improving things on the back end helped. That's part yeah. of that, right? And and we've talked we talked about the culture and talking. Mm. Can I read you guys a quote that I got from In Cole recently? Oh, yes, please, yeah. please. Like, because, yes. again, and, and it's funny enough, because this, this applies. Is, this is I, I, In Cole might student. be the best quote. Oh, my God, so good. Yeah. This this is is especially if you just, this is one-on-one. This is just chatting back and forth. Yeah. This is and why I'm going to have to take a few F-bombs out of this, this when is, I read it. This is why it's so good to have Woodley in studio like yes. we have today. 
because he has a laptop out and he's like he's like you think he's good with just taking stuff off the top of his head now when we where he has a laptop in front of him he's gonna be unstoppable well and 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 so this actually probably applies to Edmonton because I do some radio there and they're like they're so all over the goaltending there and it's like no man you guys suck at defense <laughs> and defense isn't just about defensemen mm-hmm. this is in Cole on the importance of forwards and defending and this goes to the conversation about JT who's become this great shutdown forward yeah and Bo and the questions we had before about little details mm-hmm. like changes and tracking back and these things matter sticks like, in the right spots and right stuff like this. and so this is in Cole on the importance of that in today's NHL. If you don't have the forwards tracking back, you can't keep a tight gap. You can't kill plays in the neutral zone. You can't pressure. You can't keep pucks to the outside because the other team's D are always jumping. So it's either going to be a three-on-two or a four-on-three. You can't be aggressive. You can't hold a tight gap. But when those forwards are coming back and you see them above guys, you're like, beep, right, effing right, I'll go stand right beep next to this guy and all of a sudden that turns into it's not an odd man rush it's an even man rush the other team sees that and they dump it in and it turns into a play where instead of a chance against you're going back and retrieving it and you're out with a clean exit and you're mm. going the other way and he talked about it having a cascade effect right and so as much as we talk and again I'm not dismissing the defense is so much better with Phil Peronic yeah. there uh, obviously in Cole himself has made a great impact and it'll be interesting to see what what they are without Carson Soucy for the next six to eight weeks because I think you know his impact especially on the like has maybe been penalty kill mm-hmm. has maybe been we don't haven't noticed it as much and we're gonna see it now but none of this matters if the forwards yep. haven't also bought in and this is a conversation that again, I don't want it to be negative on Bo Horvat because the same thing was being said of, of JT Miller two years ago and under Bruce Boudreaux. They didn't. They never did get that, whether it's systems or buy-in, they didn't have that from their forwards. And this is the defenseman telling you, hey, we'd love to take all the credit as D-man and the changes, but the truth is none of this works if the forwards aren't backtracking and doing it in, to use Rick Tockett's words, a predictable, consistent manner. It's also an indictment on last year where we said, like, I, we refuse to believe that these guys don't know what tracking back looks like. That they don't know <laughs> where, what having your stick in the right lane looks like. They're NHLers. They're professionals. Of course they know what this looks like. It comes back to that. Well, I mean, some may... To an, may I was going to say, like, I to agree with you to an extent. There were times where it's just accountability. Right. Like, I mean, that's part of it. Skating fast to the bench, for instance, you know, like... There are certain things that are within your control you should understand and do. At least they're doing those things now compared to last season. Yeah, and it, that actually reminds me of a conversation I had with JT Miller late last year. Again, just one of the, uh, the best ones to me are when it's just you and him chatting, yeah. right? And it was about the changes under Tockett. And he talked about a lot of those details. We've seen this and it's been stressed a lot. And we notice it at practice, like the amount of times that this staff is teaching. Mm-hmm. And a lot of it is those little details that we all assume. Like you're right, Sat, like effort and, and coming back hard. Um, that's like, that's just, that's try, right? And that's, that's mentality and that's culture and all those things. But there's also a lot of little nuances and details within that, that this group, whether it's Sergey Gonchar, Adam Foote, Rick Tockett himself, you know, those are the new voices. Mm -hmm. They're teaching a lot of these things. And talking to JT late last year, he's like, we had a lot of young players that didn't necessarily know these things. Certainly they weren't innate in their games, but they just, you know, Again, I hey, you're in the NHL. You should know this by yeah. now. I think there were some instances and some examples where maybe not so much. Or at the very least, because they came into a losing environment where it was okay to just be to be on a team as a young forward and just be good offensively because yeah. that's all that was expected of you. And the team was losing anyway, so you might as well put up some numbers and at least it's exciting and at least you're scoring and at least you're feeling good. Well, none of it is conducive to winning. And I think they needed to 
A, learn, and that comes with maturity, but also be taught in some instances what the other thing looks like that is expected of you to have success in the National Hockey League. I kind of want to make a cross sport reference here because like, you know, guys might know this stuff, but if you're not practicing it, if you're not, uh, if it's not habitual to do it all the time, then you can lose it after a while. And I was, I, I had a golf lesson and the guy's showing me on video how my ball position is terrible. And I'm like, man, I, I never even thought about this because I, I, I play golf all the time. And yeah. it's just like, you think it's, it's fine. And then he starts showing me all these examples of pros spending hours and hours and hours on ball position because like they, it has to be habitual. And if you start losing those habits, it was a big word early on in yes. uh, Rick Tockett era and Patrick Alvin. If you start losing those habits, like it's, it's really hard to get them back and really work them back into your game. And I think that's sort of the, the progress. Like, yeah, you can't put everything on Bo. Even though he was the captain, sure, he can shoulder some blame. But, I mean, this was an organizational issue from top to bottom and how things it was an organizational failure yeah. frankly and it, and it was for years right like it just wasn't good enough the standard wasn't good enough yeah and that, yeah i mean you could you can make the argument that part one of the guys that has to not just hold others to that standard is the captain but has to set the standard and you know again i was critical at times of him and of jt yeah. like i wasn't joking right like i remember answering that question which one do you keep yeah. i'm like whoever goes to the bench hard <laughs> on a change first because there was a time when none of them did yeah. yeah and those are the habits that rick tockett has brought in and is demanding of this group and by the way reach please never talk about video of a golf swing again because <laughs> like i think that is like there's nothing worse like like both goaltending and golf please never show me any images of me doing either one because it's just like oh it looks like that oh like my golf swing looks like matt like matthew wolf and jim furick had a baby and it's just it's really tough to watch so, I'm, I'm like like if people are watching this i don't know i can see myself on the tv so that means it must be broadcast somewhere i'm cringing as reach is talking about video of a golf yeah. swing yeah he, he's visibly squeamish actually in yeah. person yeah uh describing these things all right, I think that's enough on Bo. There's been. Do you have something else on Bo? No, we're no. We're, we're good on. We're Bo. good on Bo. We got still another two uh, two hours of on Bo. Yeah, coming uh, up. <laughs> on, on the goalies here, Thatcher Demko. Uh, last week we had a conversation around Demko and how good he was, and how he was so good that there was a there was a regression coming because there's no way you can keep this pace, blistering pace. And did we get that the last game, or was that just a regression by in terms of share numbers, but in terms of what he gave up? Uh, in their loss in Toronto. Yeah, no, I mean, he gave up more than expected. Like, yeah. it wasn't the best. And yet, it's funny, because within that, like, we, th we you think of the the one that um, Nylander sort of banked in, caught him outside his post and banked in, and Myers sort of goes in off Myers. Like, think of the save he made off Bertuzzi right before that. Yeah. Right? So eventually, and that's why when you have an adjusted save percentage of, like, plus 6 or 7%, like he did... That just like it, it just never happens, yeah. right? Like it, you never sustain that over a course of a year. So some of those balances are going to start going against you. I don't think that's necessarily. Oh, Thatcher Demko wasn't at his best. You know, you know. I heard, I heard. I think it was Thomas talking earlier. I was in the car. Heard Thomas Trans talking about like, hey, like Noah Gregor on a cross ice pass goes against the grain. Perfect glove shot. Like those yeah. are going to go in every once in a while. So yeah, um, that that's part of I think what people are talking about, both goaltending and shooting percentage, like. There's a reason historically levels never stay this high. It's mm -hmm. going to come down. And, you know, in that case, it's it's a night where they lose 5-2. to two. But to me, on the other side, when we look at the offense, it's like when that regresses, if it regresses, and how much, like can you do you still have enough of the structure to win 3-2 instead of 5-2 mm -hmm. or 6-2 like you have been doing? And, hey, the other thing is, like, 
as much as they've improved defensively, like you still need good goaltending. And so on a night where the bounces don't go your goaltender's way, that might be the one where instead of hanging in there and getting into overtime 2-2 or 3-3, you end up losing one in regulation. Feels like a broken record, but like Casey DeSmith, 4-0-1 as a, as a Canucks goaltender already. <laughs> and his, get... his last two were the best two. Yeah. To get nine points out of your backup this early in the season, I mean, talk about gravy on, on the poutine right now. I mean, there's there's lots of gravy right now for the Vancouver Canucks. Yeah, there's lots to like about Casey's game right now. I love the things he's incorporated from Ian Clark rather seamlessly. Like, I thought this was going to be a longer process. I think you called it water and oil when they first acquired Casey DeSmith. And I've had that thrown back at me a little bit, and I would like to point out, I said water and oil was what somebody else who actually worked with Casey right. told me of styles. Mm. And I think the part that we hadn't had a chance to really engage Casey on, because that was right after the trade, reaching out to people who would yeah. coach him. And he was a guy that liked to play with a lot of flow in his game, backwards flow. And that's not something that Ian Clark likes. And what we should have known, or what I should have known from past conversations with Casey, um, we, me and him talked for like, felt like an hour last year with Pittsburgh. And I just really enjoyed how into the position he was, how he was a true student of it. And so I shouldn't be surprised that he comes in with Ian Clark and is willing to make adjustments in his game and not be at all stubborn. And, and Ian's the same way, as much as he's categorized as this is how he does it, he doesn't force everyone to do everything his way. But you knew Casey was going to come in here, and, or I should have known, and because Ian doesn't just say, do it because I say so, he explains the why. This is why we do it this way, because it'll give you this, or it'll provide that, or it'll put you in this position in this manner, and it will be effective this way. He really breaks it down to the nth degree. Believe me, I used to edit his articles uh, at mm -hmm. Goalie News Magazine, and there was a lot there. And by the time you finished editing it, you understood the concept thoroughly. And so the fact that a guy like Casey has bought into that and is willing to make these adjustments, we shouldn't be surprised because he is a student of the game and we're seeing success. And the other part we're seeing, because there is an aggression to Casey's game positionally. Yeah. Um, and there are rebounds that come. He makes a lot of reactive saves, which I love, and you have to for a goaltender of his size. But not all those are, are clean and controlled. They end up back in the middle out in front of him. Not bad rebounds, but rebounds. They've done a great job in front of him. But also, you can't, you can't get out to where he's getting out when he reads clean look or open shot or when it's time for a shot and get out to the edge of the paint. If you don't trust the defenseman around mm -hmm. you to prevent those seam passes we've talked so much about in the past couple of years. And what happened last year to Spencer Martin, who was very aggressive. Open look, bam, he was out, not just to the edge of the crease, but he would almost come, like, charging out at a shooter is, is an exaggeration, but not a huge one. Mm -hmm. And literally teams started passing it around him. Yeah. And so the fact that defensively in front of them, that's not happening as much. And the other thing is, like, I love Casey's recovery. Like, you watch yeah. just the way he maintains that sort of butterfly wall as he moves on his knees, sliding side to side without sort of sprawling. Like, he, he sort of remains compact. It's, there's a lot to really like about his game, but it's also a really nice fit with how they're defending right now. Well, And, you know, I, I see people texting in and saying stuff like, and, and it's not wrong in insofar as goaltending is a big difference between good teams and bad teams, but it's also not giving up those chances. Again, it comes back to how the forwards come back, how to defend Do the textures play. need me to go back and read the in-cold? No, 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 100%. <laughs> and, and one of those things, too, is like that we don't see the backdoor play anymore. 
And we just don't see it. Last year, the Canucks were completely getting victimized consistently with the backdoor play. Kind of like the Oilers have been getting uh, this year. And it looked like Demko even at times was losing some confidence in his D-man because he wasn't getting the back, he wasn't getting the protection that he needed at times, especially when you have a aggressive goalie. But also on Casey the Smith, and this is for me what's what's interesting because when I watch him sometimes, he's not my vision of the goalie that I prefer because there's a lot of loose change around him, right? He doesn't swallow everything up cleanly. I like goalies that, that just are cleaner in how they, they receive the puck generally just because it's better for my heart rate when I watch hockey. That's just you know selfish for how I view things. But it's you great... want everybody to be Carey Price. Okay, <laughs> right. that's nice He's to a... know. Well, hey, we've seen Luongo in these parts yeah. over the years. You know, we saw vacuum cleaners in net. You know, that's, that's what we grew up watching in this market. But I'd say it's a great lesson in that great goaltending doesn't always have to look the same. And I think when I watch Casey the Smith, it's he's successful in a far different way than Thatcher Demko is. Yeah, no, it's I mean that's why I love about that's why I've had this passion for the position. Mm-hmm. Like this is twenty three years in covering the league and over twenty covering goalies and talking to goalie coaches and goalies from all over the world and right up to the NHL and international and everything and man like even after all these years there are no absolutes there is no one right way to play this position there is a mix of attributes you have to have in everybody's mix everybody's blend everybody's balance from you know on the sliding scale of these attributes it all slots in differently and you're right like Casey does it different he has to do it different at his size right like there are things he cannot play the same as Thatcher or he'll get victimized just because he's not the same size as Thatcher there are things Thatcher does athletically that I'm not sure Casey can but there are things Casey does differently and more not I shouldn't say more effectively but they're they're just things he does differently than Thatcher that allow him to have success so it's and again can never exist in a vacuum right like you know I look at the Oilers and what they're going through right now like 32nd in the league in terms of what they give up off the rush like you can pin you can yell and scream about the goaltending and the goaltending coach all you want in Edmonton until that changes much like that going back to that quote about Ian Cole and and what was wrong here for years and years and years until that changes the results won't uh Ilya Sorokin on the other end tonight for the New York Islanders Canucks got a break tonight (laughs) I'm I'm not kidding Semyon Varlamov I don't think he's got a is is Varley not gonna win this year I I think someone said to me but Varlamov's numbers are off the charts good like to the point where like they're up there, not quite Demko-ish, mm-hmm. but like top 10 in the league and, and Sorokin, while still good, is is more around 29. So, I mean, not surprised because they've got back-to-back. So they're going to split tonight and tomorrow in Seattle. That's where the Islanders head next. So it was always going to be both. But they have literally alternated between the two of them for eight straight games until tonight. And Sorokin's going to go back to or consecutive starts for the first time in, you know, since nine games ago. And you could make an argument, despite the fact that I believe this guy is one of the best in the world, that right now on form, um, the Canucks are getting a break compared to the way Varlamov has been playing. And the way to take advantage of that break, when I look at the chart uh, on Ilya Sorokin, is to not get carried away trying to be perfect high over the glove. We talk about how Casey's got such yeah. a good reactive game. Man, Ilya's got, uh, Sorokin has got some incredible hands. Um, what you want to do and the Canucks again have been effective at this traffic, mm-hmm. but then look just over the pads. Like that's where he's most vulnerable. I'm looking at the shot chart on where goals have gone in on him this season from clear sight. And you know, you, you look at over the blocker, just over the pads. Like that's where, that's where you can get mm-hmm. Ilya Sorokin as good as he is. Um, make a move East West. That's true of all goalies, but man, even if you do, you're not beating him along the ice. He's so incredibly quick and he's so patient on his edges course when you have that patience when you are upright in your stance as often and as long as he is the one thing to target again is just over the pads as opposed to always trying to go top cheese 
Uh, before I let you go, too, uh, you've been doing quite a bit of work on Jack Campbell's game, watching him, and it's been quite the disaster in Edmonton goaltending-wise. 12 goals on 70 shots now in the AHL for Jack Campbell. It's worse in the AHL, too. What's going on there? Yeah, you know, I, I don't have an answer, like, in terms of what's going on there. It's funny, because he seemed to have, when I talked to him, and I went to Abbotsford, I watched the first start there as part of the media scrum uh, in the post game. his first time talking to the media since getting demoted to the American League. But then I went back the next day. And I watched practice and we had a conversation mm-hmm. after. And, you know, they've tried to make a lot of changes to Jack's game in Edmonton. And they all make sense, right? Like right down to the equipment. Like he used to wear this super soft equipment and pucks would go in through the five hole just because of the gear. But, and so again, you look at it and you're like, hey, we can save ourselves six goals if we put him in this, you know, stiffer pad that's going to seal the five hole when he drops. But, you know, that, that soft stuff was almost like an identity thing for him. And when I talked to him, he seems to have bought into all these changes, but the more this piles up, the more you wonder, like, man, like, would would he be better just going up and playing on field? As much as I can see the technical issues that they're trying to fix, is fixing technical things the way to get the best out of Jack Campbell? I don't have that answer because I would do the exact same thing. And these are good coaches with good background making these changes, but, or maybe it's just in, like... I, I didn't understand sending him down. Frankly, his adjusted numbers at that point were better than Skinner. I think he was the victim of a message needing to be sent to the entire group, and Jack was the one who, you know, unfortunately had to deliver it. I don't. I'm curious if he can fix it in the American League, where the game's a little less predictable. He's a mm-hmm. guy that reads it well, and you don't get that opportunity to do it down there. The good news is, we had a really good chat about where he was, and again, he he thinks he's in a good spot with his game. I know he's in a good spot with his mindset. He's admitted many times about how hard he is on himself. The numbers he's putting up right now, being able to even tell me he felt good about his game with those numbers is a major statement because in his words, he would have been beating the ever-living beep out of himself at this point if not for having sort of discovered. He wouldn't tell me a name and that's fine. I don't know if it was just a mental coach or a sports psychologist, but he's working with someone since April. And so I feel confident despite all the numbers and despite the avalanche of evidence piling up that he's might not be able to fix it. I feel like he's in a better place and it's just, he just needs to sort of get on a mm-hmm. bit of a roll. The question I have is I'm not sure that can happen in the American Hockey League. Um, and if it doesn't, I, I just don't know where you go from here. And, you know, again, this is like Bo Horvat. Like, I want good things for Jack Campbell because he's a good person. I believe he's a better goaltender than yeah. this. The problem was they gave him a contract based on numbers that were better than he is. Yeah. And so that burden of that just... It feels like it. there's a lot there, and that snowball is rolling downhill on him right now pretty good, and it's not going to be easy to stop, no matter how much and how sincerely he seems to believe in the changes he's making, in where his game is at, and where he's at with his mindset. So I hope, I hope he gets some breaks and things start to turn for him, because I get tired of looking at all the memes on yeah. Twitter, frankly. It feels like a lot of piling on, and, and, and I get it, but... It's it's hard to watch, man. One final thing, because we only have a, a, about a minute. But I, I had some debates with people about the Oilers, and you know, some of the numbers that you've shared with us uh, gave me some ammo because it seemed like just far too many people were like, oh, "This coach is getting fired because um, you know the the Oilers aren't getting any goaltending." And to which I said, "Like, have you watched any of the Oilers games? Like, they they were just getting cut open like butter. Like, there could be a goaltending issue here, but." There's a lot more that was going on in Edmonton. The goaltenders and the goaltending staff will tell you they need some more saves. They need some more big saves. Yes. They're being asked to make 
more of the most dangerous saves than any team in the league off the rush. Like they are giving up the most high and the highest quality chances on the rush in the entire NHL. You can't survive like that as a team. And I guess the answer I would have is because I've seen that too. It's like, oh, like this would be a different game if Thatcher Demko was with the Edmonton Oilers. And listen, Thatcher is one of the best goalies in the league. I believe that. And the numbers this year back it up. But you saw what Thatcher Demko looked like at the start of last season yeah. behind a team that was bottom third in the mm-hmm. NHL defensively. And that's where the Oilers are. And I don't think enough people understand just how bad they've been defensively. And there is only so much that goaltending can bail you out on. They're past that threshold. And frankly, they don't have goaltenders that were built to be saviors. Yeah, That's not where they're at in their careers. And you're asking them to do way, way too much. And just look at the Canucks last year early for exhibit A of what happens when you try to lean that heavily on the guys between the pipes. Kevin Woodley on Sports at 650 brought to you by White Rock Hyundai. Visit the showroom on King George in White Rock or whiterockhyundai.com. Got it right towards the end. That's Hyundai. Now we're good. You 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 adjusted a lot faster than I did the first time I had to do my read on this reach. I am learning how to be a guy in the studio, but I'll keep working at it because they are worth the effort. Uh, he's Kevin Woodley. He's the goalie guru. He's the best. He joins us every Wednesday here on Canuck Central. Come back with Overrated Underrated on Sportsnet 650. Back in on Canuck Central, it's Dan Riccio and Satyar Shaw. We are getting closer and closer to puck drop with the Canucks and New York Islanders, led by Bo Horvat. This hour of Canuck Central is brought to you by Brevo. Brevo provides convenient cloud-based access control systems from your mobile device for any industry. Go to lp.brevo.com slash Canada for a smart demonstration. Let's get right into it with our next guest. It is... Canucks insider Irfan Gaffar joining us as a weekly hit. Uh, thanks for this, Irf. Uh, what's going on? Fellas, how we doing? Game day. Big game. Big money on the board game day. Oh, you think there's money on the board in the Islanders room? I think there's a lot of money on the board. Actually, <laughs> in fact, I know there will be a lot of money on the board. Oh, man. It's been like, uh, I mean, we knew this day was coming, right? Where you're going to have 48 hours of rehashing through all the Bo Horvat takes that we had when they uh, traded him away last uh, last season. And, you know, finally Bo's kind of opened up a little bit more about it, and he's clearly not a happy camper with how things went down. I, I mean, I, I, I generally don't sympathize all that much. Like, it's a business. The Canucks decided what their price was going to be for Horvat, and it wasn't nearly as high as what the Islanders ended up paying him. Yeah. And, I mean, look, I... I... Bo came here on on a massive trade. I mean, yeah. right? He wasn't supposed to be a Vancouver Canuck. Um, he came here. He did all the right things. He said all of the right things. He exceeded expectations when everyone thought that Bo was going to have an off year. Everyone thought that Bo wasn't a good skater. He's hired a skating coach. He improved his skating next season. Everybody capped him as a third-line center. You know, like that's yeah. what he is. That's you what know? he's going to be. And he went on to do all of these things, and then he got named captain and obviously became, you know, uh, pretty good in the community, if not really good in the community, um, doing all the things that you need to do as a captain of this Canucks hockey team. And then when you mentioned the business side thing came up and the Canucks weren't going to pay him what, you know, obviously the Islanders ended up did. And, you know, when he took his parting shot or whatever it was, it obviously fans took it the wrong way, but it was a shot at management. And why not? All right. I think other players have done it before. That's totally fine. 
Yeah, and I mean, I think when you look at the situation that happened with Bo, I mean, I think the question was, did the team ever have a real intention of signing him, or did it get to a point where they just thought the number was going to be too big? Because I can understand if Bo was upset if they never if they were like fake in their intentions, but was it not more than was it not really? The fact of they wanted to sign him initially, but when they realized it was going to cost a lot, they just had no interest in paying him that money. Yeah, I think that's exactly what it was, right? And then you look at some of the other guys that have gotten paid since and, and things like that, and you go, okay, well, I mean, look, Lou Lamorello said it was too much money. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> too much and too long, him, yeah. yeah. The guy that signed him to the contract said it was too much money. So if he's saying that, and so what were, what were Patrick Alvin and Jim Rutherford thinking, right? But look, I mean... And it was just so funny because, look, he gets traded. He has to go represent the New York Islanders in the Pacific Division of the All-Star Game. <laughs> and then he, then when the game's over, he signs that extension, obviously, the, the day after before he goes to Long Island. But it was just it was a whole whirlwind of things. But it's going to be fun tonight. I, I think that, you know, the fan the reaction is going to be mixed. I think that, you know, he's going to get the video tribute that he deserves probably as a player. Fans should cheer, and then after that, boo mercilessly. Why not? <laughs> yeah, like you could turn the page after tonight, right? And I think that's part of the conversation here today is, you know, it's a, a new era of the Canucks, even though a large part of the core is still here, right, yeah. outside of Bo. Um, but, you know, they've turned the page. Rick Tockett's brought in a new culture and all these different things, and, I mean, the record speaks for itself. It's, it's kind of working right now for the Canucks. Yeah. I mean, look, this night isn't going to be about Bo Horvath. It's going to be about the Vancouver Canucks trying to beat an Islanders team that isn't very good right now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? And you, when, you, when you really look at things, like, we're not going to go back, you know, in March, April, May, and be like, oh, man, remember that day, that, remember that night that Bo Horvath came back to the Vancouver Canucks? And they had such, it was such a great night, and it was so cool. We were all heartwarming. It's not going to happen. The Canucks are all going to get two points tonight, and that's all that they should be doing. Um, they're playing well. They should continue to be playing well. And, you know, you hope to prey on a vulnerable Islanders team that, what, they haven't won a game in their last five straight game. I mean, last five straight. Yeah, no, they've they have they haven't been good. I mean, this is a team that the Canucks are better than I think. I mean, yeah. you know, we you talk about money on the board. Uh, the Islanders have a lot of money in terms of the contracts <laughs> the players are getting paid, but they're not getting the the type of performance they want on the ice. And I think when you look at this Canucks team in general too. We're all trying to figure out, is this real? Are they a team that's going to keep beating opponents? They're better than, are they going to show up and be serious? Because on a game like this, it's another test where there is an emotional level in terms of Bo's returning, you know, the players know him, the fans are going to be juiced up for the game. What type of effort do we see from them? Can we see them take control of games again? It's another one of these little micro tests along the way for us to figure out how serious this team is. Well, and I think that we all know the brand of hockey that the Islanders play, right? It's mm-hmm. boring, right? It's, and they're going to make it a boring hockey game. And the Vancouver Canucks have been, you know, quite the opposite. They, they've been an exciting game. They're an exciting team to watch. They score goals. They don't allow goals um, very often. Um, so it, it's, it's going to be interesting. I mean, look, uh, the Vancouver Canucks power play is very good. Elias Sorokin is obviously a, a very, very good goaltender. It's going to be um, one of those games where you look at it and it should just be, it should be a fun night overall. At the rink, but I, I agree with you, Sad. I, I think that the Canucks have now now are going to have their first taste of a little bit of adversity with Susie being out long term. Um, what's going to happen there? Who is going to step up and step in? Uh, I think that that's a big one. And then and we'll see, right? And now you're going to have all these rumors circulating about, you know, is someone going to get? Are they going to, you know, make a trade or, or they want to make a trade? They want to improve. And then obviously, the big one. Speaking of players signing contracts, speaking of centermen signing contracts, 
is Elias Pettersson. I was going to say, uh, the ultimate storyline would be like uh, Canucks beat Bo Horvat <laughs> and the Islanders tonight and then tomorrow announce a $95 million extension for Elias Pettersson. That would be kind of I don't expensive. Think that, I, don't, I, mean, I don't think the Canucks are announcing that that contract, but... I mean, we should all wish. Yeah, it's uh, it, 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 just storyline wise, it would be it would be hilarious. Yeah. But we know, oh, it'd be great. Um, you know, we know from uh, Frank Cervalli talking with Patrick Alvine yesterday that uh, talks have picked back up with Elias Patterson. What are you hearing on the uh, situation? I think talks have have engaged. I don't think that it's. Um, that I don't think that there's anything imminent. Right. I think that. You know, both sides now are like, okay, it's it, it, it's time to, you know, actually have a conversation. Whether then, when you're ready, we'll talk. When you're ready, call me. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that now now that they're going to get into the, those parts where they have a conversation. We obviously know the cap is going to be an issue, and it's going to go up in, in a couple of years. It's going to take a big jump. Um, I'm sure the Canucks might want to know where, um, what it's going to be at before they get this deal done, if that's the case. But... Uh, I've said before on this show, I think that if the Canucks were willing to pay upwards of up to 88 to $90 million for Elias Pedersen, why wouldn't they have offered it already? Like, what were they waiting for? I think now, to be completely honest, the Canucks know that Pedersen maybe has made up his mind on it, whether it's longer term or shorter term. And now they know that, and now they're willing to engage on one of those two um, contracts contract talks i guess but it's it's obviously an interesting one because is it going to be the short term which a lot of people are saying and i've heard that from multiple people that it's going to be on the shorter term side and then what's the aav like are you going to get a higher av you're going to go to 11 i don't think it's going to become anywhere near uh under 11 million dollars i think it has to start with 11 when it's all said and done yeah i think i mean I, I I know the Canucks will obviously like to get Pedersen signed for as long as possible to as yeah. to as team friendly a number as possible, right? Um, but it's just about what's realistic. And and I think if you look at Austin Matthews' term on his contract, which is four years, the extension he signed, that's the kind of template to look at. I don't think he's getting thirteen point two five like Matthews no. is getting paid. But if you're doing a four year deal, for instance, is that coming in at? 11, 11 and a half, close to 12 or something. I'm, I'm looking at a four-year deal as, as maybe being something that makes the most sense. Yeah, and how much of this is Elias Patterson willing to help the Canucks out with and saying that if he goes the Austin Matthew route with what's, what's Matthew's base salary, seven fifty, eight hundred grand, and is, is, is signing, signing bonus. bonus money. Like, signing, it's all signing bonus, right? I'm not sure if Elias Patterson is willing to do that because I know Austin Matthews does make a lot of money away from just playing hockey, or so it's a little bit of, different, of a different case for him. But um, things are different. And the one thing that I've, you know, just from going around and talking to people is young players now. You know, obviously you're one injury away or whatever. I would find a long-term contract to be completely honest. You're you're safe or whatever. But I think a lot of them have an interest of wanting to be a free agent and actually have that and 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 see what it's like. Yeah, it's the idea of free agency. You know, if Pedersen does sign a shorter term deal, uh, or you know, just star players in general start going the Austin Matthews route in four or five years, you know, it gives them more chances to re up. It keeps, um, you know, it gives them opportunity if things don't go the way that they like with their current club. 
maybe a rebuild is starting to happen. They can be like, all right, well, at least I've, I've got an out here. Whereas, you know, as we saw with Connor McDavid and Jack Eichel eventually got out of, of Buffalo, but you know, it's, it it seemed like he was going to be stuck there forever for, for a little while. Yeah. I, I think that players are starting to learn that they do have power Mm -hmm. um, in, in, in some cases and they're starting to use it. Um, Elias Pettersson, also a very different cat. We've said that from the very beginning, right? You know, he's, he's very well educated. He knows exactly what's happening. Um, he knows what, you know, obviously what he's worth and what his agents think he's worth. And I think that they're going to maximize on that. And if you're a professional player, um, uh, why not? You know, if I only want to do what I want to do, why am I going to do something else just for the sake of, you know, helping a team out? If they're going to be good in four years or if we're going to be good, then I can find another deal if I really, really want to. If not, hey, let's, let's test out this free agency and let's see what it's like to have a bidding war against me if I am going to be that good. Well, and also, like you're coming off a, a few years where the salary cap has been flat. Now mm-hmm. you look at the landscape in the next couple of years, and yeah, it's just projections. But we're all projecting for the cap to make significant increases, not just next season, but every summer there afterwards. And yeah, I'm not sure it goes up that much next season. I think it's the one after where it starts. Yeah. You start to see the significant jump. It's going to take a few years. So I, I think again, it's another conversation to have, right? Yeah. I think if you actually look at a four-year term. In four years, we're going to live in a completely different cap world. Yeah. So if he hits free agency at the age of 30, and as we've seen through NHL history, that is not a deterrent for guys <laughs> to uh, get. For big-time centermen? No, yeah, it's not to a get, deterrent. To big, get big money even into their late. And maybe even if they change the contract lengths to five or six years, we could be at a situation in four years' time, when he hits the market, could the, the salary at like 15, 16 million not be ridiculous? Like if the yeah. cap goes up well, look, in four years to like 105, 110 million, which is not inconceivable that in four years it's 110 million, we're talking about players getting paid close to 20 million, the top players. Well, let's just say Elise Pedersen has another two, another 200 point seasons. He's nominated for the heart yeah. once. His playoffs make his team his team makes the playoffs three out of the next four. It's 15 million dollars right there. Yeah. Right. Like I mean, it's it's crazy to think because we're not used to this being the reality of the NHL that we cover every yeah. single day. It's, it's just not it. The best player in the world, in the NHL, makes $12.5 million. Guys on the Lakers bench make that. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's, it's, it's wild. I mean, you can go to any other sport and, you know, the first baseman for whatever team, and it's just wild. But, I mean, I, I, I get it, and obviously the television revenues and, and things like that and of that nature are completely different. But um, we're going to get to a point now where, Sat, you just mentioned, like, it's going to be conceivable – where we're talking about the league's best players making up to up towards $17 million. So going back to Elias Pedersen, why not sign a four-year deal for him? Yeah, and you know if, if things play out and he continues being uh, one of the top players in the league, you sign two four-year deals uh, from now until you're a free agent again, or you sign two four-year deals rather than one big eight-year deal. Yeah. In theory, you're going to uh, increase your ceiling of total earnings through your career. Like, like we've seen it's it in the NBA. Yeah, it's funny you say that, but like, in theory, it's. I mean, it's probably going to be like six or seven million dollars. Where the player's probably really not going to see that much of a difference yeah. or hit them at all. But it just on paper, it's gonna it's gonna look a lot different. Well, like Austin Matthews, for instance, he's finishing his first uh, second his second contract, which is fifty eight point one nine five million. His yeah. next contract is fifty-three million. That means in nine years he's going to have earned one hundred and eleven. Yeah, million. but the cap was flat there. No, one hundred percent. But I'm just right? saying. I'm just saying. If there's no pandemic, like it's hard to to guess, you know what 
a, a four-year deal would have looked like uh, without the pandemic slowing things down for the NHL. Uh, no doubt, but I'm just saying, like, he's still made more money than he would have made if, if he signed an eight-year deal. Even if he signed an eight-year deal, let's say at even at twelve million, for instance, right? It'd be the McDavid one hundred million dollar deal. Yeah, and he's yeah. still making you know an extra eleven million over McDavid. that over nine years, yeah, right? So McDavid, yeah. it shows you even during the dead cap, doing this still yielded him more money in, yeah. in return. It's uh. It's going to be interesting to see how this uh, negotiation plays out over the next little while. Uh, so uh, when will uh, Chris Tanev be a Vancouver Canuck again? <laughs> <laughs> as soon as the Flames take action. No, you know what? Never mind. No. Um, I think there's definitely interest. Uh, I think there's interest in both sides in, in, in making it happen. Um, My personal sure opinion, Earth is just like... You I, know what's funny? It, you know what's really funny is if the trading within the division comes into play. Mm, yeah, And I know it shouldn't or whatever, but I feel like there's some people out there that actually might <clears throat> that actually might think that it's a bad idea from an organizational standpoint. Like if you're the Flames or if you're the Oilers or, or if whoever you are trading within the division. So I think that that's a big one yeah. for, uh, when you go and look at it. But... Um, you know, it wouldn't shock me if Chris Tanev would be happy to be a Vancouver Canuck and a change of scenery for a player or two on Vancouver could uh, do them well. I just, uh, well, like, one, the, the obvious conversation, the Canucks would need to open up cap space still in order to make any kind of a deal like that work. Just because Carson Soucy is now out injured doesn't mean, you know, it fixes all the Canucks cap problems for the mm-hmm. rest of the year and they can fit in a player like Chris Tanev without trading a Connor Garland or, or somebody else like that. Um, but two, I, I just, and Sat and I have talked about this. I just wonder about the Canucks willingness to, to spend big on a player that might be a rental. Well, I think if you're signing Chris Tanev, I think you know you're probably like I think there's interest in him probably coming signing in Vancouver in free agency anyway. Like there would be potential he could sign a contract afterwards. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think that regardless, you might be able to get him in free agency anyway if you really wanted or tried. I think that that's one of the things. Two, you are looking to improve your defense. There's no secret about that. Patrick Alvin said it. No, they are looking to improve their defense, right? But the biggest thing is, like we just talked about, is is the cap. And it's how are they going to make it work? I mean, trading a guy like Niels Hoglander is not going to make it work. You're going to have to do some other creative things to try and make it happen. But um, it's an interesting conversation because now it's very evident, you know, Susie's out, so what's going to happen? Is someone going to be able to step up and step in, or is it now are they getting more aggressive? And obviously, Sat, you and I, I mean, we've talked about it before. Um, what's the deal with Ethan Bear? Yeah. What's what what is going to happen there? Well, I think with Ethan Bear, now that Susie is a is eligible to go on LTIR and is out sixty eight weeks, and a decision on on Bear is going to have to be made, you know, around December first. Then, if if that's going to be the case, for instance, you're looking at two weeks away. The Canucks now have the space if they want to sign Ethan Bear. Now, once Susie comes back, you have to figure it out. But at least it buys you some time to get there. But in terms of even trying to get Chris Tanev. Yes, I mean, I can see Vancouver being in, into trading Bevilier or Garland or even Hoaglander, but what interest does Calgary have in, in taking those guys on, for instance, right? And yeah. for Chris Tanev, too, like, what is his trade value? Is it a, a late first-round pick? Is it a high second? Is it a good prospect? If the asset value is high, I don't see the Canucks getting in on Tanev nor Zadorov. Like, I don't, I don't see them yeah. trading important assets for them. I think they're willing to shift guys. But I don't like Garland and Bavillier and even Hoaglander, but I don't know if they, they're willing to go above that. Well, the Sharks are circling right now, right? And the 
Calgary Flames have all the all the treasure that 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 there is. So they're going to try and get everything that yeah. they possibly can if this is if they in fact try and quote unquote blow it up. Um, I know that players have come out from there and saying that you know they don't want to be a part of it or whatever. But you know when Noah Hannafin doesn't sign a reported sixty million dollar deal or whatever it was because he doesn't know what's going on, that's a pretty big thing. So it's uh, that's another team to to watch you over the next little while to see kind of what happens there and how they value their players and what teams are going to be willing to pay for a guy like Zadorov or a guy like Chris Tanev. I mean, what's not to say that Chris Tanev doesn't want a shot at winning the cup, right? And he's like, okay, I can probably go to Vancouver and free agency. Do I really see them as winning the cup? No, maybe do I go to a contender or a real legitimate contender that I think is one. So obviously all these things are to take into consideration, but um, no shortage of storylines around this team for sure. Uh, never, never really is a shortage of uh, storylines around this team. Uh, before we let you go, did you know uh, Manchester United is number one in the form table right now in the Premier League? Yep, I did know that. <laughs> what? <laughs> they are sat. They're better than Chelsea. That's we, we got to let Earth have one win uh, since we chirp him most most weeks. <laughs> well, it's because the Seahawks are going to lose both. They're going to lose on Sunday. I already know it, and they're going to lose again. Thanks by the 49ers. Duh. Oh, let's let's not go there yet. Uh, I'll, I'll be willing to go down that road when it happens. Earth, uh, you're the best. Thanks for this. All right, gentlemen, be well. There is Earth uh, on Gafar. A lot of uh, interesting topics there with. With Earth, our weekly insider, and uh, I guess we can start on Pedersen. It's just um, the the idea of a short term deal. Uh, it's not terrible for the Canucks. Like you're keeping the player, mm-hmm. and he's one of the best players in the league. So you're always happy that that could be the scenario. But ultimately, you'd prefer to have eight years if you could, if you're the Vancouver Canucks. Yeah, players like that. Uh, you know, you always want to get them signed for as long as possible. And especially if you know what could happen in four years. We just spoke to Earth about, hey, look at Pedersen and the fact that he might be looking at a number at 15, 16 million in four years if the cap is going to be 110 million by then or something and he's still playing at a high level. Then that's going to be harder for the team to swallow. Whereas yeah. if you get him signed now for eight years at let's just say twelve million, well, twelve million and fifteen, sixteen is quite a bit of difference. That's four million, five million in difference potentially yeah. per year on the AAV. So for you to, to get ahead of that and perhaps have him be a huge bargain in year five, six, seven, eight, I think is appealing. But at the end of the day, you have to sign these players. It's like Austin Matthews. Are you going to not sign him? Yeah. Right. You're just not going to. You're just going to let him walk. Like, would, would you yeah. rather? Yeah. Would you rather just sign him and deal with it, or trade him? And you usually want to sign yeah. these guys instead of trading them. You never win the trades when you move these guys. Uh, you, you've got to win the trades, and it's like yeah, you're not going to win a trade where Elias Pettersson is the main piece going no. the other way. You're not going to win something like that, and you know. If you look at a, a structure of, of a deal like that, you know, Pedersen's last bridge contract, three years, mm-hmm. uh, 735 on the on the AAV. But the AAV was significantly depressed compared to what an eight-year term would have looked like yeah. because you were only buying restricted free agent years. Whereas now, a four-year deal for Elias Pedersen, you're buying out three unrestricted free agent years. It's probably why, you know, it's still going to cost 11, 11 and a half Potentially more. I mean, he's the leading point scorer in the league right now. Like it's it's not it's not like you're getting a, a deal on a four year deal for Elias Pettersson. It's just the cost is the cost now for this player. Yeah, and at the end of the day, it's like you know you would have preferred to sign Pettersson to an eight year extension yes. when he was eligible, but now you've have him signed through seven years through that, right? Yes. And then he's a free agent at the age of thirty, and then you can make a decision then about 
is that the type of player we want to give that type of contract to? And I would tend to agree with the answer being yes, usually, yeah. especially yeah. if he keeps playing the way he does. But it's another time for you can look at it in a positive and you never know how things can go, where the direction of the organization might be headed towards where you think he's trending towards as a player, but you prefer to get him done long term. It's just one of those things where maybe the reality for these guys, because of what we mentioned with Earth, is to yeah. take four years now and then maybe try to sign five or six later. Uh, not a lot of players uh, have done that, but there is a select few with the talent. And uh, I guess the uh, stones might be the right word to to do so as well. And Elias Patterson may very well be one of them. Um, the other part of this is the conversation about trades. It's not going away. Um it's more so just we know the Canucks are going to constantly be looking yeah. at potential fits to help their back end. It's not like Patrick Alvine is hid from that fact. The team seems to know pretty well they've got to add on defense, whether it's from the Flames or somebody else around the league. Yeah, and it's just what are you willing to do? To do? And I think they're willing to trade players off the roster. Even yes. you know, if Niels Hoaglander is a part of it or not or whatever. The question is, what are you willing to add a significant pick to? I don't think that's a Tanev type player. That will be a higher caliber player, but that's a lot easier said than done. Yeah, it uh, it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. And to hear Nils Hoaglander in uh, trade discussions, I don't think anybody should be shocked about that. But uh, considering his place on the roster, and even still, you know, as well as he's played this year, coach still having a tough time really fitting him in to certain spots in the lineup uh we'll continue to dive into some of those subjects as we get into the pregame show here on canuck central